You know, I'm not used to being in church where you get claps before you've even said anything. <laughs> you might change your minds after, you've, after the next half hour or so. so. No, I'm Andrew. Um, for those that don't know me, I'm part of the missions team here at King's. I also work for a missions agency called Frontiers. And our, uh, our vision statement is, with love and respect, inviting all Muslim peoples to follow Jesus. So you may remember those of you who were here last week, Andy McCulloch, and if you weren't here, please do you know, watch, the, watch the, the playback because it was excellent. But Andy McCulloch talked about the one-third of the world that at this point has no opportunity um, to hear, of, hear about Jesus. They're not in contact with anyone who is a Christian. And we had the privilege, have the privilege, of working uh, with that one-third of the world and, uh, you know, it is, it is wonderful. Um, we ourselves spent 12 years in West Africa where um, we ministered and, and lived in, in this urban slum in a West African city. Um, and, you know, one of the things, that time in my life um, was probably the, the time when I face, face, felt closest to God, when I felt fulfilled in a way that I've never done anywhere else. Uh, you know the passage from, from John 10.10 10, where he talk, Jesus talks about, you know, he came to give us life and life to the full. Um, that was our experience in Africa. Um, not that everything was, was wonderful or easy, but quite the opposite. You know, Elizabeth talked about the, the, the struggles of learning language and living in another culture and being sick. And, you know, we knew all that. And it was very, very hard. But also on the other side, it was... You know, it was the best of times for us, being able to um, minister to people, being able to share the gospel, to be able to disciple people. And we just praise God that, you know, the little work that we were involved in with, where there were no followers of Jesus when we first went, or very few, has now grown and grown and grown, mostly since we left, actually. But, you know, and there are several hundred, if not, you know, more than a thousand people that have been baptized and and worship Jesus from the people group that we were working with. So yes, the best of times, as well as the worst of times in, in many ways, but certainly the most fulfilling time that we've had. Uh, our kids grew up there as well, and I just want to say that they seem to have turned out quite well. So uh, for those of you that might be concerned about raising children in, in, in situations like that. I want to start by asking a question. Um, and the question is this. Um, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? Did you get asked that when you were a child? Did anyone ever get asked that? I certainly got asked it a lot. And it was usually by sort of distant relatives or friends of my parents that were visiting our home and didn't know what else to ask a, you know, a 10-year-old child. And for me, the answer was, you know, I want to, well, I was always confused. I want to be a policeman. I want to be a, an astronaut. I want to play cricket. Um, you know, so I, my parents used to joke and say, you know, during the week, he's going to be a policeman. That'll be his job. And then at the weekend, he'll play cricket for Yorkshire. And then for his holidays, he's going to go to the moon. You know, that was the... That was the um, so I don't know what you're, you're, you wanted to be. What I certainly didn't say in those days was that I wanted to become an accountant, which is actually what happened to me. Um, again, that was God's leading and God's grace. And through me becoming an accountant... He opened so many doors uh, for ministry, particularly in Africa. So, um, so he has his plans and purposes. 
Um, part of the reason I asked that, that question is, I don't know about your experience of coming to know Christ. I, I'm, I'm guessing most of us here are watching on, online are, are, are followers of Christ. And I don't know if your story is like mine, but I suspect for many of us it is that, you know, I felt as a teenager in my case, something of a gap in my life, something was missing. And friends shared with me, you know, the gap is because you're separated from God. You've, you've done things in your life which actually separated you from him. And the way to get back to him is to, is to accept Jesus and his offer of relationship with the Father into your life. And if you do that, then, you know, then this gap will be filled. And that's how I came to the Lord. You know, and I suspect many of you have, you know, maybe as a, as a young person, maybe in a youth group, maybe at university, you know, you heard a speaker, maybe later on in life, something of that experience was, was your experience too. But what I want to say is, whilst all that is very true, let's call it the gospel of salvation, all that is very, very true, it's actually incomplete, okay? Now, before John gets up and kicks me off the stage, let me just explain what I mean by that. There are two problems with the gospel of salvation and reasons why it's incomplete. One is it's, it's only a tiny part of the story. It focuses on us and on our needs and you know, what, what, what we needed from him. And the danger is that we stay at that point. It's like we stay at the door of a room and there's all these wonderful things in the room, but we stand at the entrance and don't get, go, dare go any further. It's all about us and our needs and we need to move on from that and, and begin to understand the bigger picture. But the second problem, a friend of mine says, it's like we came in in the middle of the story and God is writing this incredible story on the hearts of, of human beings. And it has a beginning and it has an end. And we've come in in the middle. And if all we do is stay in the middle and don't actually understand the rest of the story, then we're actually missing out on all the richness of what God wants for us as human beings. So what I want to do is to take you back to the beginning of the story and just lead you very quickly through the story. Okay? So I think um, most of us know that the, the beginning of the story is Genesis chapter 1. And we'll put, uh, the, the, uh, sorry, not yet, no, <laughs> it's a bit later. It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. The first chapters, couple of chapters of Genesis are like a, it's, a, it's basically a Hebrew poem. And um, that poem expresses the deep truths of what God, what God intended for the world, for creation, and for humankind when he made us, okay? And the poem is in the form of, you know, six parts, seven parts. Each one of those is described as a day. And the first three days are really about God creating a framework. And he creates light and darkness. He creates the sky. He creates the earth and the oceans. And that's what he does in those first three days. And then the second three days, he fills 
that framework, that sort of box of his creation with things. And he creates, he creates the sun and the moon. He creates the fish and the birds of the air. And then on the sixth day, he creates the land creatures. And what it says um, at the end of each day of creation, you all know this, it, it says, you know, God looked on what he'd made and he saw that it was good. Yeah? So creation is good. Now, I don't know um, if you've ever had the, the joy of holding something newborn in your hands, you know? Maybe a little chick or a puppy or a kitten. Or, you know, for me, one of the most um, memorable, um, emotional times of my life was when the midwife, when our three kids were born, when the midwife handed that little child and you know, placed a little child, a brand new baby, into my hands. And just that sense of here is something in my hands that was, you know, a few moments ago, had never experienced this earth, this world, this, this, this life. And now I'm holding something brand new. Very, very precious times. And I have a sort of sense that with God, when he created this earth, and he held it in his hands. He, he felt it was good because of that emotion, that, you know, that sense of potential, that sense of something new, something wonderful that he was holding. And I don't know if that's an experience you've had, but, but I can sense some of God's heart in that. Anyway, after the six days, um, or at the end of the sixth day, after he's created everything else, um, it talks about him creating humankind. And this is the beginning of our story. Let's call it God's story. And the beginning of our story was that moment, Genesis 1, 27 and 28, when God created us. And he created us for a purpose. And I want, us to, sh I want to share a little bit about that purpose. Let, let me read it first. It says, so God created mankind, humankind, in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. That's the beginning of our story, the chapter one, if you like, of our own story as human beings. And there are three things that I really want us to notice in those verses. The first one is that we are made in the image of God. Now think about that. Think about God in all his glory, all his majesty, all his power, all his creativity, all his imagination, all his love, all his mercy. Think about the deep relationships between Father Son and Holy Spirit. Well, he created us in that image to experience all those things. That's just mind-blowing. It's incredible. I just, I'd like you to turn to your neighbor and just say, you are wonderful. You are created in God's image. Just do that now. You are wonderful. You are created in God's image. And believe it. Accept it. Believe it. Because it's true. The second thing I want to just point out is the next verse, the first part of verse 28. It said, God blessed them. Okay, the very first thing that God did to this new human 
creature that he made was he blessed them. Now, for many of us, we feel, I know, that we're not in a world of blessing. We're going through hard times. You know, life has been tough to us. I said we worked in the, the slums of a West African city, and every day we came across human suffering. You know, it was just part of our, our daily life, people that were, were suffering badly. For most Africans, and you know, some of you are from Africa, but you know that the, the worldview of most Africans is that this world is not a place of blessing. It's a place where you have to appease the ancestors or appease the gods or please the spirits because the world is actually malign and not a, a world of blessing. Well, let me say to you, that is not true. God created this world and he blessed us in it. That was his intention. Go on to what went wrong in a moment. And then the third thing, and if you remember nothing else, this is the thing that I want you to remember. Um, so after he's blessed us, it said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This was the first command that God ever gave to us as human beings. That's sort of kind of important. You know, this is why he made us. What do you want to be when you grow up? Well, this is what God wants you to be in his story. And there are, there, when you read those verses, basically it's what he's saying to us is, go and have lots of children made in my image and blessed by me and go into the whole world and fill the whole world with these children and subdue what you find there. Put it under the lordship, my lordship. Okay? So that's what, that's what we were created to do and to be. That's our part in God's story, that we were meant to carry his lordship and his image everywhere and to bring the whole earth under the lordship of God. Okay? If you remember nothing else, remember that. And that's still true today, and I'll come on to why that's true in a moment. So that's chapter one of the story. Chapter two is, is the fall. And we all know the story of, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the serpent tempting Eve to eat a piece of fruit, an apple, whatever you want to call it. Well, that's the, that's the story. But the deep truth, again, remember, this is poetry. So the deep truth behind that is not the apple and the snake, and, and, but it's about our disobedience. You know, God's just given humankind, Adam and Eve, in this case, a, a command. And, but he also gave them free will to choose whether they would obey that command or not. And the story of the fall is the story of disobedience. And so it's not just about Adam and Eve eating a piece of fruit. It's about you and me and our choices that we make that actually disobey God. It's not the story of a piece of fruit. It's the story of us wanting to be gods. And so when we go out into the whole world and make children and, you know, what we're actually doing is we're taking out into the world a marred image, a broken image of God. We're trying to make ourselves gods and goddesses instead of making him Lord. And that's the tragedy of the world today. That's why many people don't feel blessed because actually we've been disobedient and we've wanted to become gods in our own right instead of making him Lord when we go. Part three of the story um, is the bit that we actually come in today. And there are two parts to this. Um, the first part is um, God, the Ten Commandments or the commandments and the laws that God gave to the nation of Israel. 
And the idea was that if they could obey those laws and actually be obedient, then, um, then he would restore their blessing. Um, that was the, 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 the deal that he made with, with Moses and with Abraham and others. And, you know, God knew that we were not capable of keeping those laws. He wasn't fooled by that. It wasn't like he made a plan and then, oh, we got it wrong and let's make another plan. He knew that, of course, we couldn't keep that. We, we, we had fallen out of our disobedience. But what God was saying was, if you can be obedient, then you'll be blessed. But he knew full well that we would continue in our disobedience. Um, I said that there are many echoes of, of that verse in, in, in Genesis 1.28 about filling the earth with images of God and making him Lord. One of them, and one of my favorite ones, is found in the Old Testament, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. You also find the same verse in Isaiah, so it's repeated twice, so it must be important. It says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's, that's the mandate that he gave to us, and we read it in the Old Testament. The second part of chapter 3 is, of course, Jesus coming, dying for us, being resurrected again, and opening the way to the Father. We were disobedient. We couldn't do it in our own strength. So all along, God's plan was, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it for you. I'm going to open up the way. All you need to do is believe and accept this. And because of my grace... I will open up that way for relationship and restoration of the promises I gave in, in Genesis 1. And again, there are some verses, um, echoes of Genesis 1, re repetitions of Genesis 1 that we see in the New Testament. Uh, one of them is in Matthew 28, where we call it the Great Commission. And it's often used as the, the sort of proof text for mission. But it's actually an echo of Genesis 1, which is the real proof te text, I believe, for, for mission. But, you know, go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, listen to this, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. So we'll go to make disciples, make him Lord of everything. The very last words of Jesus to the uh, disciples before he, he, he ascended to heaven, Acts 1.8, you know, the Holy Spirit, he promised them the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So again, another instruction to take, take God's good news to the, to the whole earth. Another one is found in, in um, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, where it talks about us being ambassadors. What are ambassadors? There are people that are sent out from a country to represent that country in another country. But we're ambassadors. We're called to be ambassadors for God's kingdom throughout the earth. And, and 2 Corinthians 5 also talks us about us having the ministry of reconciliation. We're meant to go out and bring reconciliation where reconciliation doesn't exist. Let me just give you a brief um, illustration of that from our own experience in Africa. So, um, as I said, we worked, um, worked in, in the city, but... Um, after, uh, in our first few months, our team leader said to us, we want you to go and spend a few weeks in a village um, in the interior so you really get a hold of the language and the culture of the people you're working amongst. And so we, being obedient, we all went out. We took our, I think, Esther, you were probably about 
you know, less than two at that time. One, and we turned up in this village, and I don't think the team leader realized what he'd sent us to, but it was really a collection of about a dozen mud huts on this rocky escarpment. And it was blazing heat, and they had very little food, and you know, the water was filthy because they got it from a local pond because that was the only water supply. And <laughs> we arrived, and they gave us water to wash in, and it was full of mud, and there were, t there were little frogs in the mud, like mud. I'll never remember that. And we're thinking, oh, Lord, we've got several weeks here. How are we going to survive? But, you know, one of the things that struck us in that first visit to that village was every night um, they would sit and listen to cassette tapes. Now, a few years ago before that, there'd been an attempt by the, the Arab rulers of the country to drive out the Africans and in order to take their land and take their, their livestock. And um, the people of this village had been driven out of their old village, had, had all their livestock st stolen, their school, their wells, and everything that they'd built up over decades had been taken from them by the, the Arabs. And a few years later, the government had said, unless you're living on the land, you lose all, all right to it. So they'd had to move back and start a new village on this rocky escarpment. And that was the village we were in. And they were very bitter about what had happened to them, as you can imagine. So they'd listen to these cassette tapes every night, and it was their, their music, African music, but over the top of it was the, 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 a sort of recitation of the names, title of the names of people who'd been killed in the, in the troubles 10 years earlier. So every night they're feeding their souls with this bitterness that they, they were carrying. Anyway, we, that village got branded on our hearts. We used to visit um, at least once or twice a year. And a few years later, God really impressed on us and said, you know, these people are feeding their souls with bitterness. You need to go to them and you need to challenge them about this. And you need to ask them to go and to their Arab neighbors who were in their old village, remember, and had taken o over. To challenge them to go and ask forgiveness uh, for holding bitterness against them for all these years. Now, remember, they're the ones that are wronged. And so, um, after we talked and prayed about it in a team, I, I went down with some local uh, believers and shared this with one or two believers that were in the, in the town, in the, in the village, sorry. And they went and shared it with the other men of the village. I told them about forgiveness and, you know, forgiving 70 times 7. And they went to the other men and they shared this story with them and they were gone for hours, and they never leave you alone in these villages. And I'm thinking, I'm getting more and more worried. You know, what have I done? You know, I've asked them to do something which is impossible. And anyway, they came back after several hours. They said, we've been talking, and we, we want to do as you say. We feel what you said is right. Uh, will you come with us to the Arab village, which is a few kilometers away? And we went, and I, I heard them say to the elders of the Arab village, we want to ask your forgiveness because we've been holding bitterness against you for all these years. And the Arab elders replied, no, you need to forgive us because of what we did to you all those years ago. And there was a reconciliation at that time. And they said, you know, we need to tell every village around here, our villages and African villages, what we've done so they can share in this. And they said, we need to tell all our relatives and people in the cities what we've done so they can share in this. You know, over the next few years, we saw that village transformed from a, a place of, of desperation, of hardship, of, of cursing almost, 
to a place where, you know, we saw God start to work and they built a school, they invested, they built homes, they started investing. Instead of violence, they started to bless one another and we saw children start to come to that village. There have been lots of miscarriages in the early years and, and now there were many, many children. You go now, there are hundreds of children, it seems, running around. And, you know, we went as ministers of reconciliation and God did something profound through a very simple message. And we just praise him for what he did. The f- end of that story, we go, I go back quite regularly, or we go back regularly, and just a few years ago, um, they were in, uh, electing a new mayor for that, that district. And always the mayor has been a, a, one of the Arabs. You know, that was just what it was. They were the people that were in power. This time, one of our African friends stood for mayor, and all the Arabs voted for him. And when I, I went to see the Arab village at one point and asked them, you know, why did he do that? That's not normal. They said, because of the reconciliation that's happened, we recognize he's the best man for the job, so we wanted him to be our mayor. That was a miracle, you know? So praise God for that. Okay. Very quickly, chapter four, the final chapter of God's story. It's about what's going to come, and what's going to come is a new heaven and a new earth. But all the promises that were given to us in Genesis 1, um, that we messed up, basically, through the fall, get restored. So blessing comes, the people of God come together. You know, we, we live with him and reign with him and rule with him in that, in that new, new earth. Um, he's going to be with us. And you can read about that in, in, Genesis, in Revelation and other passages in Scripture. But there's one particular Scripture that I want to, um, that I want to uh, just draw your attention to as we draw to a close. And that's from Romans. Um, Romans chapter 8. And we can put that on the screen, I think, yeah. So Romans chapter 8, um, it says this. Sorry, let, let me just bring it up. It says, creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. You might think, I'm just a little part of this story. I'm just a tiny bit. Um, But actually, we're part of God's story, which involves the whole of creation, the whole of universe. When we fell, creation was affected. Romans 8 says that creation is waiting for the day when we will be revealed. And then creation itself will be fully restored. You're not a small part in God's story. You have a central role. We all do. What God intended at the beginning is still what he attends today. That creation will live in harmony, including humankind, will live in harmony with him and enjoy his presence forever. Wow, isn't that exciting? Um, I hope some of you, your hearts have been touched by this. And if you would like to talk more and say, you know, what's my part in going to the nations? Then come and see one of us on the, on the, on the missions team. Uh, Robin Elizabeth, Fuchs, Ron Lamb, Alice Horn, myself and Harriet. We can share more with you about this. 
But also, if you're thinking, you know, I'd really like to know more about this. This is exciting, it's intriguing, but I need to know more. Then Rich has already talked about the Momentum Yes course, which is one of the small groups. Um, Simon Patrick's going to be leading that. Simon is actually, uh, he'll, he'll be very modest about this, but he's part, one of the cr creators of that course, along with an American church. And it is really, really good. So come along to that. It's on Tuesday nights. And if you can't make it Tuesday nights, we'll run it again, you know, in the future. So uh, we want to make that a, something that everyone can experience. I want to finish. Um, I just felt the Lord wanted me to challenge three groups of people, and then I'll, I'll, I'll stop. Um, the first group um, is those of you who are perhaps um, more elderly. Um, and maybe sometime in the past, I've sensed God say, some of you may have had a call to go and work overseas in, in some sort of missions capacity. And for various reasons, you know, maybe family or work or church or whatever, things got in the way, stuff happened, and you never fulfilled what God was asking you to do. I just want to say to you, God, it isn't too late to get involved in missions, um, either going or praying or helping to send. If that's you, you know, do make yourselves known, and we're very glad to talk to you. Second group I felt God wanted me to, to, to speak to is, you know, those of you from an African heritage. Um, several years ago, I was at a missions conference, and the guy who was speaking was a Kenyan pastor of a you know, mega church in, in, in Nairobi. And he said to us, you know, we talk about the Great Commission, and that's been the driving force of missions in the Western church. But he said, for us Africans, you know, the Great Commission isn't what drives us. Our passion is to re-evangelize the West. And so if you talk to Africans about mission, that's what they want to do. And I don't know if that's true or not. That's what he said, um, and it stuck with me. Now, can I say to you, if that's your, been your heart, and that's the reason why you've come to this country, you are most welcome, because the West needs re-evangelizing. So please, you know, do that work. But also, can I, can I say to you, that's not all you're called to do. You are also called to go out to the ends of the earth, you know, and, and, and reach out and, and take God's, God's story to everyone. So you're also part of this. And the third group I, I felt God um, asking me to speak to, um, and you know, I'm on the stage so they can't kick me off, so it's to the elders. Um, you know, when we as a missions team started looking at a missions vision for the church um, several years ago, and then COVID got in the way, and we've been working this through with the elders now for, for some time. And they have been so supportive of this and wanting to see missions and cross-cultural missions on the agenda of the church. And when we said to them rather cheekily, could you give us three Sundays to present the vision? They said and came back and said, hey, how about two months? You know, what could you do with two months? And that's why last month there were the, you know, the, um, the videos and this month we're having preaching on it. So thank you to the elders for that. We appreciate it. But also the challenge to us as the elders and the church is, I hope that over the next few months and years, people are going to be coming forward and saying, we want to be part of God's story and taking it to the nations. The challenge to the elders is to say, yes, we work in High Wycombe when we support all these things here, but we're also willing to pay the cost financially and you know, supporting-wise to send some of our best people, hopefully, outside our own context to, to, to the rest of the world 
So that's my challenge, Rich. That's my challenge, Don, and to the rest of the elders. Okay. I'm going to finish there. Thank you so much for listening. Um, we're available to talk afterwards if you wish.